I got to take a picture for JFIT. He wanted to take attendance. <laughs> Sorry, everybody smile. It's a pano here. He's like, yeah, I don't know who comes to church when I'm not there. So, how's everybody doing today? Good. Did everybody survive the snowmageddon? What was it called? The, I don't know, some snow bomb cyclone thing. I've never heard of that in my life. I'm from Florida. But it was cool because like, you looked in the radar and it looked like a hurricane. I was like, ah, I'm home. <laughs> you know, It's like, ah, all things are right now. Before I start, I think last time I spoke, I warned you that I, there's a little ADD within me. So I might just, and I, it's Jim Fazio's birthday today. Yeah. Is, is there a rule about singing happy birthday? No, no rules? That's fantastic. Because like back at my old church, we, like, we're like, man, we're going to be singing happy birthday every week. And we made this rule that if you were like after 90, we would sing happy birthday to you. You're not 90 yet, are you? Almost. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jim. Happy birthday to you. Now, if you were in Zimbabwe, we would be singing that song for 30 minutes. How old are you now? And then, do you have a girlfriend? And, you know, like, what did you eat last night? And did you take a shower this morning? And it would just go on and on and on and on. It's pretty amazing stuff. Hey, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, it's Boulder has become kind of like our home church, and I'm, I'm, I'm just learning to just appreciate everybody and everything that you do and what you do here for this community. Um, and I want to tell you that from my perspective, I, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't want to, like, you know, whatever, surprise anybody, okay? I don't have all the answers. We okay with that? Yeah. Uh, I'm on a journey, just like you guys are, and I believe that your journey and my journey and all of our journeys combined actually create something beautiful that can help all of us grow and learn. So I hope that this becomes a place where you feel comfortable being who you are, where you feel comfortable expressing doubt and asking questions and continue to grow spiritually, because that is the only way, let me tell you, that is the only way. Um, so uh, the things that I share with you uh, are things that, that I just, you know, like as I study it, you know, like, but, but I'm not pretending to tell you how things are or how they should be. I'm giving you my perspective on how I see God and Jesus working in my life and how I think, okay, regardless whether you're a Christian or not, you believe in Jesus or not, if, if you just walked in off the street because it was warmer in here than out there, um, you know, like I hope that something that we learned here today, again, whether you believe in God or Jesus or not, is something that you can take with you and that can apply to you in your life in Boulder. I almost said Denver. This is, this is a Denver, people. This is Boulder in 2019. So that's, that's my hope. Um, I was a mailman once. Yeah, I delivered mail. I was the original Ace Ventura coming through, you know. Uh, sorry. If you haven't seen it, just watch it. It's, uh, it's, it's a classic. Yeah. I, I, I do have a lot of like 80s references because that's who I am. You know, I'm 25 years old, but I really wish I would have been born in the 80s. 
Okay, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. So uh, I was a mailman at Southern College at the time, my first job. I graduated from high school. I went up there. I needed work. And they said, hey, um, we need a mailman. Will you be a mailman for us? I'm like, fantastic. I am happy to do that. So every morning, early in the morning, I would get up. I would go to the administration office, um, and uh, I would go through the mail, and I would sort the mail, and then I would put it in boxes labeled for each department and each person, and I would take the boxes, and I would put it into this really, really old-looking mail truck, okay, that had no heater, uh, and I would, I would go in there, and I would, like, spend the next two, three hours delivering mail all around campus. So I knew everybody, I knew all the departments, all the offices, and, and all that stuff, and I was like, man, I was pretty important, because... Without me, communication, because we couldn't text back then, that didn't exist. Uh, sorry. Um, it it would have been, been really bad. I had a friend who um, had polio, and he used crutches to get around campus. And uh, it was a struggle for him to get from one place to the next. I always felt bad for him. And so one day, as I'm driving the mail truck, I was like, psst. So he comes over, you know, gets in the truck. I was like, I'll take you. So I drive him, drop him off. He's like, thanks, man. I'm like, this is what I'm here for. Somebody saw it. They reported me. Oh, no, Right. So I get, I, get, I get to work at the end of the day, and my supervisor person says, hey, Danny. I'm like, hey, how you doing? How'd it go today? Good, good, good. Listen, you cannot give anybody a ride. I'm like, but... It's like, no, you, you, you can't. So, okay. So like next week, I'm driving around, and, and I see him again. I'm like, hey, where are you going? It's like, uh, Brock Hall. She's on the other side of campus. It's like a mile away. All of a sudden, there's this tune that's playing in my head. I need a hero, which I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, okay? And I turn up the radio that I didn't have. And I'm like, hey, come on, come on, come on. So he comes in, and I'm like, I'm going to get so fired for this. You know, he goes in, he gets in the truck, and I drive him, you know, and I was like, listen, I know that the crutches and stuff might be a little bit of a challenge, but I'm not stopping you. I'm just pushing you out, Okay. <laughs> He's like, you think it's a good idea? I'm like, giving you a ride is not a good idea. So let's, let's just realize that. So we get to Brock Hall. I'm like, get out. Thanks. Like, I don't think anybody saw me. I get back to uh, the, the office supervisor. Says, hey, how'd the day go? I'm like, fine. She's like, you're fired. I'm like, okay. Gave her the keys and walked away. And I'm thinking to myself, is there any justice in this place? Right? Like, like, I am doing good for somebody, and like, now this is how I get repaid? My kindness, my compassion, my charity. I get fired. It's not right. Shortly after that, a few years, wife and I coming down from Tennessee on vacation, driving down I-75, uh, close to the border from Georgia to Florida, where all the cops hang out, okay? And I got, I have... I have, I forgot what it's called. What is that thing that you press and it keeps you at a certain speed? What is that called? Cruise control. Cruise control. Thank you. 
I can't remember the strangest things, but I can't remember cruise control. I have it set like at 65. It's there. I'm like, I know this area. I'm not going to get a ticket. It's 65 miles an hour, and I'm going 65. And I'm following somebody in front of me who obviously has their cruise control at 65 as well, because we're just both like About two miles from Florida border. It's like, what? This guy goes by me. And I was like, you know how you have a cop behind you and you see the lights and you're like, and then they go past you and you're like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, it's like, oh, I was relieved. He just went flying past me and then got in front of the guy in front of me, okay, and pulled him over. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, that's not right. We're going the same speed. And then he stopped right there in the lane and pulled me over too. I'm like, that's even worse. Because that guy's not me. <laughs> so he pulls us both over, and he comes over. He goes, sir, do you know how fast you were going? I'm like, absolutely, because I have my cruise control set at 65. He said, no, you were doing 94 miles an hour. It's like, what? He's like, yeah, I can show you on my radar. I'm like, look, brother, I'm not saying that you don't have somebody going 94, but that ain't me. I got a ticket. Big old ticket. Where is justice, Right? Like, especially when we're not doing anything wrong. And like, so the, the text this morning, as, uh, as we read, um, in, in verse 59, I have here on the screen, if you want to follow along, um, it says, I'm just going to read verses 14 and 15 of Isaiah 59. Because like, when you start reading all that, it sometimes can get a little overwhelming. So I'm going to just try to condense it a little bit. Verse 14, our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. That's how I felt. Like, where is it? Truth. And I love the imagery. Truth stumbles in the streets. And honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked, and he was what? Displeased to find that there was no what? No justice. But then something happens. Verse 16, he was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. It's like God is like sitting up there and he's looking around. He's like, there's no truth. There's no justice. There's no honesty. Everything is bad. And he's like, okay, I need a hero. Huh. So he looks and sees that there's no one to intervene to help the oppressed. So he says, I got nobody. Okay, I... I'm going to step up. So he continues. He says, so he himself stepped in to save them with a strong arm and his justice sustained him. And he put on righteousness as a body armor and placed his helmet of salvation on his head. And he closed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back. Even to the ends of the earth and the west, people will respect the name of the Lord and in the east they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide, like a cyclone bomb or whatever it's called. Just trying to make it relevant, you know. That's what we do. Sorry. 
For he will come like a raging flood tide, driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. Verse 21, and this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be in your lips and in the lips of your children and your children's children forever. The Lord has spoken. You look at this text, okay, and we look at it together, and there's three perspectives, okay, and I want us to just kind of look through these perspectives that, that you probably fall in one of these. You're either thinking that, that, that you're the one doing the injustice. Anybody here? Like, I'm the one that's doing the injustice? That's good. I, would, I, 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 was, I was hoping that was a response, that nobody would raise that. It was like, hey, honey, how was work? It was great. I did a lot of injustice today. She's like, fantastic. I love you so much. Who does that, right? Nobody. But there's another perspective that you can take. It's a perspective of uh, the one fighting against injustice. I'm the one fighting against the injustice. But then you're thinking, no, because that text is talking about Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. Very perceptive of your part. But then, I'm guessing that most of us fall under the third of the one that's saying, okay, the suffering, I'm the one that's, 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 that's suffering the injustice. When I look at the world around me, when I see everybody, I'm the one that's experiencing the injustice. So you have these three things. Ah, and, and, and we think of who is going to rescue me from this injustice. So you get home, it's like, honey, how was work? You're never going to believe what my supervisor said. They fired me for giving a handicapped person a ride. Can you believe how unjust this world is? Poor me. All the injustice coming my way. Give me a hug. Because most of us, like, that's kind of how we see ourselves. We see the ones that are the victims. We're the victims of everybody else's injustice. And most of us are thinking, you know, there's not a day in my life where I don't need a hero. I need somebody to come and destroy the villains. I'm telling you, like, who's your most hated villain? Anybody? Who, who, what's, what villain? Satan. Okay, good. You're a good Christian Adventist person. Okay, aside from that, who's your favorite villain? Anybody? No villains? The Joker? Great answer, honey. Anybody else? No? Oh, come on, people, talk to me. It's what? Lex Luthor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who else? We're warming up now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Fantastic. Who else? I'm going to tell you my favorite one of all because I hated that guy. I hate that guy, right? Who else? Does anybody like hate like Vector from like Despicable Me? What's, what's the guy's name? Was that his name, Vector? Yeah, like ah, uh, Squid Gun, Freezer. No, okay. My, did you ever watch the Patriot, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson back in the day? Colonel, whatever that guy was, had the long hair, just sneaky little eyes, and just that look, and he was just killing everybody. 
And he kills this person's son in front of him, and it was the wrong kid that he was, like, he killed the wrong person. He's like, well, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, and that brings me pleasure. I'm like, what? Like, you need to die. But not only do you need to die, you need to suffer while you're dying. Right? And you like, like, you do this thing, it's like, oh, villains, bad people, they need to pay. And I was so disappointed at the end of the movie. Because you know how this guy died? Oh, he died. Okay, so, this is, you know. He died, so justice was served, if you want to call that. But you know how he died? A cannonball. I don't know that I should be talking about this. Little ones, close your ears. A cannonball just like takes his off completely, just like that. And you know my first thought? It's like, that's not fair. No suffering, no pain, no looking at the eyes of the oppressed and saying, I am suffering and I am sorry. No, no sorry, no guilt, nothing. Just one day he's there being mean and the next day he's gone. That just doesn't seem right to a lot of us. Because we want justice, we want this, we want that. And all of a sudden we're like, where is our hero? Now, what is a hero? I'm going to give you a definition, my definition of a hero. It's right up here. A hero is someone who takes action when others remain, what? Silent. Can we agree with that? Is, that? is that okay with you? I mean, I just came up with it, so it's like, it's no big deal. If you don't agree with it, you're like, that's a horrible definition. That's the one we're going to go with today. A hero is someone who takes action when others remain silent. I immediately thought about uh, Rosa Parks. Everybody know Rosa Parks? Some of you know Rosa Parks. Some of you don't know Rosa Parks. That's okay. Rosa Parks, um, in 1943, had her first encounter with a gentleman named James Blake, who was driving the bus that Rosa boarded. And after paying her fare, Mr. Blake asked Rosa Parks, who was African-American, to exit the bus and re-enter through the back door where the African-Americans were supposed to go in. And as she got out of the front bus, James Blake, the bus driver, sped off, leaving her to walk home in the rain. That happened in 1943. Little did they know that 12 years later, in 1955, they would have another encounter. And on December 1st, 1955, they encountered each other again. And Blake ordered Rosa Parks and three other black people to move from the middle to the back of his Cleveland Avenue bus number 2857 in order to make room for a white passenger. When the bus driver ordered four black people to get up and give them their seats, since that section was for whites and it was already full and they needed more white space, Rosa got up but did not move back. Instead, she moved to the window seat. And when the bus driver threatened to call the cops and have her arrested, if she didn't move, she said, I guess you better do that. She says this in her story, in her biography called My Story. Uh, she says, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me being old. I was 42 now. The only tired I was was tired of giving in. Tired of injustice. Here's the beauty of this story. That on Monday, December 5, a few days later, 1955, after the success of the one-day boycott of this group of 16 to 18 people gathered in Mount Zion Church to discuss this boycott strategy for the bus agency, and the new organiza a new organization was formed at that moment called Montgomery Improvement Association. 
MIA. Its members elected as their president a relative newcomer to Montgomery, a young, mostly unknown minister of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we know the rest of the story. Because someone was willing to step in when other people remained quiet. And we know what, what MLK did for, uh, to, bring, to bring some sort of racial conciliation in this country. And it's not where it should be still, but without him, it wouldn't even be where it is today. Uh, we think of Mandela back in South Africa and how he did things. And the question that I want to ask you today, why is it that there aren't more people stepping up to be heroes? Why is it that so many of us actually remain silent? Well, because my mama said it's none of my business, so don't get involved. Son, that's none of your business. Let them be. Or some of us are sitting thinking, you know what, it wouldn't make a difference. It's just me, just one person. What difference am I going to make? Or you can say, man, I am just not qualified. I just can't do it. But here's the thing, okay, here's the thing. When we look at Isaiah, this, this, this uh, passage that we read today, it, it talks about this beautiful promise near the end where God says, man, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And God looks out and says, where are my heroes? And God says, okay, nobody's stepping up. I'm going to do it. So he steps in to become our hero. And we read in, in the New Testament where it says, you know, and, and a Savior will be born to you and his name shall be Emmanuel with us, God. Emmanuel with us, El, God. Emmanuel, God with us. That's why his name's his name shall be. It's not going to stop being. It has been, it is, and it will continue to be God with us. So when you're sitting around thinking, I can't take another day of my supervisor, Emmanuel. When your marriage is on a just very thin ice and, and you're sitting there and like, I, we're not going to make it. I don't know how this is going to work out. Emmanuel, God with you. When the doctor calls you and delivers horrible news to you or someone you love, Emmanuel. When your kids are waking you up in the middle of the night because you got to change diapers and feed them, Emmanuel. <laughs> you just wish that Emmanuel would actually change them and feed them, right? At any point in your life when you're struggling, just remember, Emmanuel, God with you, God with me. But it doesn't end there. Listen, if you forget everything I say, and I always say this, okay, so get used to it. If you forget everything I'll say, this is where we're heading today, and we're almost there. Jesus becomes our hero so that we can become our hero to others. Because when you look at Isaiah, God's first instinct is, who's going to step up, yo? Who's going to do it? I'm looking for a hero. And God's like, come on, somebody do it. Come on, somebody step up. Somebody needs a hero. Are you not seeing the injustice? Are you not seeing the oppression? Come on, step up. And God's like, nobody. I'll do it. But again, I'm not going to do it just like so that you can sit back and be like, oh, okay. Um, thank you. No, 
He's like, look, I'm going to do it so I can set an example of what you need to be doing. Like the whole week, I'm telling you, the whole week I had this song in my head all week. It was released in 1984 by Bonnie Tyler. Can you hear it? I need a hero. Like, listen, it's like she was, I think, kind of quoting Isaiah. I'm not like, listen to this, listen to this, okay? Yeah. It's hard for me to read it and I like hum it, okay? Where have all the good men gone? Where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn and I dream of what I need. Everybody together, I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's got to be strong. And he's got to be fast. There you go. <laughs> and he's got to be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. Hi, Janelle. Janelle, you should come up here and sing it with me. Yeah, yeah, she's over there like, I need a hero. 80s hair and all, you know. Somewhere after midnight, uh, in my wildest fantasy, somewhere just beyond my reach, there's someone reaching back for me, racing on the thunder and the rising of the heat. It's going to take a Superman to sweep me off my feet, up where the mountains meet the heavens above, or out where the lightning splits the sea. I could swear there is someone somewhere watching me. Through the wind and the chill, and the rain, and the storm, and the flood, I can feel his approach like a fire in my blood. I need a hero, right? Yeah, fantastic stuff. So then later on, Jesus, okay, in John chapter 14, verse 12, he says, truly, truly I say this to you, Whoever believes in me will also do works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm a hero, but guess what? You're going to be even a bigger hero than me. How, what? How is that even possible? Jesus is like, I remember that stuff in Isaiah, all that stuff that I was like, here I come to save the day. I'm going to pass that on to you. And you're going to be even a bigger hero. Now, I'm sure all of us right now are thinking, what, what? I mean, how is that? How can we be a bigger hero? I mean, like the guy died for us. Come on, man. Yeah. How, how, how can, like, because here's the thing. Jesus, in case you didn't realize it, was only one dude. I got in trouble one time for saying Jesus and dude in the same sentence. I apologize. He was one guy. He was only one place at a time. And now Jesus is like gathering you and you and you and, and this guy named John and Peter and Andrew. And we're going to bring him together because now I'm going to teach you how to be a hero to this world. And what I need you to do is I need you to go forth and do heroic things. So those 12 guys kind of like do their thing. 11, sorry. 
they do their thing. Uh, the other one did his thing too, but wasn't very heroic. So they do their thing and they go, and, and you know, this thing kind of grows exponentially, exponentially. And here we are in Boulder, Colorado in 2019 with a bunch of heroes sitting right here. Right? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's still injustice, there's still oppression, there's still needs right outside of our doors. And if you all ever become, it's just a bunch of people that gather here on a weekly basis just to listen to somebody talk for 30 minutes and you go home and you don't become a hero for the people outside of this place, then you are not following the example of Jesus. Now, listen, here's the reality. Uh, well, Pastor Danny, um, I work. Fantastic. Help the economy. But I'm sure the people at work need something at some point. And I'm not asking you to just sit on the wrong section of the bus and say, huh, are you going to call the cops on me? Go ahead. Do it. No. Like, now, it doesn't say that you don't have to. You can't. But what I'm saying is sometimes just the fact that you can be present in the life of someone who's going through a difficult time, that is perhaps the hero they need. As old as the example is of helping someone cross the street, you were their hero at that moment. Listening to somebody's story, giving somebody hope might be all that they need. Many times we, uh, we sit around and we hunker down and we wish thoughts and prayers. But maybe what we need to do is to be the ones who are the answer for those thoughts and prayers. Sometimes we pray for heroes and perhaps it's just God saying, I need a hero. So at Littleton this week, I'm just going to tell you two quick stories of heroes. Um, I want to tell you about how the snow saved this person's life. It's like, what? How did the snow save this person's life? 50-year-old who was supposed to go skiing, supposed to go to Copper Mountain. His friends were going to come pick him up early in the morning, and they were going to go skiing. And the snowmageddon, cyclone bomb, whatever you want to call it, came down upon us. And so that morning, uh, the night before, they canceled all the schools, so his kids did not get to go to school, which means, oh, bummer, he didn't get to go skiing. Around 10.30 in the morning, he starts having some chest pains, and he starts to just complain a lot and not looking right, and his 16-year-old son, who does not even have a license yet, drags his dad, who... You know, his son was still at home because he didn't have school. Drags him into the car, drives him to the, to the closest urgent care. They actually shock him five times. They bring him back to life. They take him to Littleton Hospital, and he's doing well today because the snow and his son, 16-year-old boy. I gave him a high five multiple times. I'm like, you saved your dad's life. He didn't even know how to react. You know, maybe... Maybe it's something like that. Somebody needs a hero who's going to step up, right? And then let me tell you about Cody. Uh, this gentleman's name is Cody Mooney. You might have seen the, the news in, uh, in the news uh, up here. It was all in Denver. Um, Cody um, had a brain tumor. 
young guy, young wife, um, four kids, and the fifth one on its way. Probably being born this week. Had a brain tumor, he came and they did surgery, and about 12 days later, there was some hemorrhaging that was going on in the brain still. They brought him back to the hospital, and uh, IR and everything, after doing everything they could, they realized that they weren't gonna do anything. They couldn't do anything to save Cody. Someone who had dedicated his entire life to saving other people. And now he was helpless. He was in the ICU, intubated. Sheena was breathing for him. His wife by his side. <laughs> the ICU, which is normally kind of like a, like a quiet, desolate place, was packed with firemen and family members sitting on the floor outside of his room. Cody became a live donor. And a week ago today, Saturday evening, we lined the hallways of the ICU with 200 people from the community. As Cody's body still alive, his wife next to him carried him down to the OR to take out whatever organs they could so that Cody, after saving so many people's lives, could even in death save others. Man, you don't understand how painful it is for the OR because these people are used to fixing people. They're used to taking, putting things in to make people better and now they're having to take things out. But in understanding that in that taking out, in that sacrifice, in that giving, then someone else can live and Cody becomes a hero even in death. I don't know what God is calling you, calling me, or calling any of us to do, but I know one thing, that when, when God stood out and said, I need a hero, and nobody stepped out, he did. And he shouted out, I need a hero, but I need a hero, you need a hero, this community needs a hero, this, this world needs heroes, and it's up to you and me, because if we don't become heroes for people, then this whole thing that Jesus started a long time ago is just pointless. So who will you be a hero to? We're going to sing this last song, um, and then um, I'm going to invite you to just come on up, and we're going to gather here. We're going to have a gathering of heroes up front, yo. Right? Like, come on. It's okay. It's okay. Just come on down. Gather together right up here, and, and as you walk up, okay, as you walk up, I, I need you to be thinking, how will I be a hero starting today? Who's waiting for me to step up? Who's looking down and saying, I need a hero, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm in the position to do something? Maybe, perhaps, just maybe, I'm the hero they've been waiting for.